The Holy Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, all five thousand in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his gospels, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you all from God our Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you may remember April 11th, 1970, when the Apollo 13 spacecraft was launched from Kennedy Space Center with the goal of landing on the moon. Others of you may remember the movie about Apollo 13. Two days after the launch, as the spacecraft neared the moon, an oxygen tank blew up and ground control heard this message, spoken calmly, Houston, we have a problem. Actually, they had many problems, but one in particularly interests me this morning. Well, the moon landing was canceled, of course, and the astronauts, Jim Lovell, Jack Swigert, and Fred Hayes, powered down the command module, that's the part where the astronauts normally sit, to save its battery, which was needed for re-entry into Earth. They moved into the lunar module, now not needed for the moon landing, as a sort of a lifeboat. However, the lunar module was set up to support two men for 36 hours, not three men for 96 hours. The craft quickly filled with dangerous levels of carbon dioxide, a poisonous gas which would quickly asphyxiate their brains. 
the extremely important gizmo that cleaned the carbon dioxide out of the air is called a CO2 scrubber. The one in the lunar module was cylinder-shaped. It was running out, and it needed to be replaced with a clean one. The command module had a spare scrubber, but it was cube-shaped. They brought it into the lunar module. To save themselves, the astronauts had to somehow attach a square CO2 scrubber to the circular opening of the lunar module's air filtration system. NASA's crew support division immediately got to work. Knowing the astronauts couldn't make a stop at Home Depot to get some extra parts, the ground team took inventory of what the spacecraft already had. What could they use to solve the problem of fitting a square peg into a round hole 200,000 miles from the Earth from the limited items that were on board? Well, they did not throw up their hands and give up. The world was watching and praying from Pope Paul to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. The world was praying and watching, and they figured it out. Later, they would receive the Medal of Freedom for their work. They sent the astronauts a 19-step procedure to construct an improved adapter using these items from on board. The cover of a flight manual, two hoses from spacesuits, duct tape, a bungee cord, and tube socks. And it worked. Four days later, the astronauts made it safely home to Earth. So let's turn our attention to the Gospel reading today, which also has to do with noticing what resources we do have. Jesus and the disciples were sitting together in a high place, and they saw a huge crowd approaching. These were people who had seen Jesus healing the sick, who wanted to be near him. When Jesus saw all the people coming, his first thought was of hospitality. And he asked Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? Now John tells us that Jesus knew what he was going to do, but it was one of those teachable moments. What unfolds is a beautiful account that will highlight two faithful attitudes for people who want to be part of what God is up to in this world. Philip and Andrew reply in very different ways to Jesus' question about how they're going to feed the crowd. Philip says, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. He sees the ridiculous situation before him thousands to be fed, minimal food or money to make it happen. Philip understands what Jesus wants to do, feed the people. But he sees only what they do not have, what they lack, why it is not possible. Andrew sees a little more. He says, well, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Andrew also understands what Jesus wants to do, feed the people, and he looks around 
for what they do have. It's not much, but he sees it. A boy, a few loaves, some fish. See the difference? Philip only saw what they didn't have and gave up, which doesn't feed anyone or bring astronauts home from space. Andrew saw what they did have, and that opened up a possibility. Now, I get Philip about trying to feed all those people. Forget feeding 5,000. Feeding 10 for Christmas at our house requires a potluck. So I'm not surprised that Philip thought this meal was impossible. The Gospels don't tell us much about Philip, but some scholars say that it seems that he was in charge of the supplies and the food, sort of a road manager for Jesus and the disciples. He was a practical kind of guy. Remember, Jesus himself found Philip. He chose him and he said to him, you, Philip, come follow me. Maybe Jesus chose him exactly for that fine quality. But this day, Jesus seems to be stretching Philip's good, practical faith into a faith that will also be part of a miracle. But Philip is not in that possibility place yet, and I understand that. I know how easy it is to see what we lack instead of what we have. Have you said it yourself? Hey, I'm only one person. I can't imagine what one person could do with all the need in the world. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he gives us a reminder that faithful people can keep in our hearts for situations exactly like this. He says, God is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. What happens when we see what we have and trust God instead of focusing on what we lack? God accomplishes abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Clarification. Who is doing the accomplishing? God is. But we get to help. So, the first faithful attitude I see in this text is seeing what we do have that Jesus might be able to use for the good of the world. The second faithful attitude is the boy's. This boy has five loaves and two fish, and he certainly has a plan for them. Maybe it's his food for the next few days. Maybe he's bringing it to his parents. We don't know. Yet this boy shares his lunch. On the one hand, it's not much, a little bread and fish. On the other hand, it's probably all he had. Now, I would really like to know more about that boy and I need to digress with him for a moment. I hope you won't mind. With all those people, how did he get to the front of the crowd? Had he been following Jesus closely? Had someone in his family been touched by Jesus or helped in some way so he was curious, checking Jesus out? And I know Jesus and the disciples didn't tackle that boy and take his food, so the boy must have given his food to Jesus. Was it difficult for him to do that? Was it scary to give away his food? 
Or was he one of those observant boys and girls who wants to sit in the front row and is listening to every word you say? Was he listening to Jesus and Andrew and Philip? And did he see that Jesus wanted to use his lunch to feed everybody? Who wouldn't want to see that? So he handed over his food. And then, after Jesus gave thanks for this gift of food and was distributing it to the crowd, wouldn't a boy like that follow along right at Jesus' elbow, wide-eyed, as the food never ran out? I think so. And how did that affect the rest of his life? Okay, digression over. However that happened, the boy shows us the second faithful attitude in this text. He was willing to share what he had. Because he was willing to share his lunch, he got to be part of the miracle. If he had only cared for his own hunger, he would have missed all that. Instead, he entrusted what he had to Jesus and became part of what Jesus was up to. These two attitudes, seeing what we do have and entrusting it to God, may be the difference between feeding just ourselves and helping God feed the whole world. In the name of Jesus, amen.